baseball is coming back to Buffalo. Yay, it's coming back. Hello, everyone. This is Pete Pomisano on this edition of Off-Road, an RLTP podcast. Listen, I got to tell you right up front that we've uh, decided to cut back a little bit on the length of these podcasts. They're getting a little long. The original intention was to have four people interviewed each for about 20 minutes and then maybe 10 minutes. And you know what happened? They ended up being 40 minutes, 45 minutes, 35 minutes. And the, and the podcast, were, you know, they were like two hours long. And that's a bit much, especially if you're listening in the car and you're driving in Buffalo, because in Buffalo, you can get anywhere in 30 minutes. So really, what's the point of having a two-hour podcast? This time, we've got three great interviews, and I mean great interviews. The first one is with Heidi Halt from Neglia Ballet. And Bronwyn Battaglia comes in a little bit too. She's also from Neglia. But frankly, when I was doing the recording, what happened was there was a thunderstorm outside and a lightning storm and the recording got screwed up and some of Bronwyn's stuff got eliminated. So it's mostly, it's mostly Heidi Halt from Neglia, but it's still a good interview and she's got great things to say. And as I told her, I would think a dance studio would be tremendously affected by the COVID thing. But wouldn't you know it? They figured out a way right away to still deal with it and have their dance lessons. Second up is Mr. Jim Pace, who is the president of the local musicians union. And if you're saying to yourself, well, what does that have to do with anything? Oh my gosh, how much do you miss live music? How much do you miss the Philharmonic? How much do you miss going to the sportsmen? How much do you miss musicians? So I decided to talk to my friend Jim Pace. Now Jim has been a friend of mine for about 30 years or so. He was my music director late in my career at Lakeshore High School. He was the guy who did all of the brass instruments. Anyway, I'm, I'm giving you way too much information at this point. He's a great guy, very important interview because of what's been going on with the musicians, the gig workers, those who have been trying to, you know, just make a living out there in the world as musicians. Jim's got a lot of great things to say. And finally, as if that wasn't enough, I finally got my long-awaited conversation with Michael Murphy from Shays. And yes, I know, Shays announced that, well, <laughs> we're going to open on December 1st. Well, you know what? The rest of the country is in big trouble right now. And of course, that is going to affect Shays and their scheduling. So wait till you hear what Michael Murphy has to say about it. All right, let's get started right away with Neglia Ballet and Miss Heidi Halt with a little bit of Bronwyn Battaglia as well. Who I'm speaking to at this moment and the person who has the echo behind her because she's in a gigantic dance studio is Heidi Halt, and you are? I'm executive director of Neglia Ballet. Great. Now tell me, tell me, what happened on March 14th when you had to close down and you, did you have kids in the, in the building at the time and you had to say, all right, everybody, we've just gotten the word that we have to leave? We did not have kids in the building. We had kind of had an, I, I think we had canceled actually the little ones a little bit earlier, um, knowing that something was gonna happen. And then on, on Saturday, not sure if that was the 14th, but um, 
it was our last class with students and then on Monday whatever that date was we we knew we weren't going to have in-studio classes and then by Wednesday we started doing classes on Zoom. And you contacted everybody, all of the students in your classes. You contacted them. You said, here's the Zoom, here's the situation. Because again, I had never even heard of Zoom until April. And you were immediately immediately were adapting because I I thought I thought that of all the people I've spoken to, that a dance company would be the most dire situation because you you because as I told you before, when I'm dancing in any show, and I, I am clearly not a dancer, but the poor choreographer has to come up to me and, you know, move my feet in the right place and move my arms a different way. And I need one-on-one -on -one contact. And the fact that you're doing all of this on Zoom so quickly after the onset of the pandemic is amazing and and had to change your whole teaching mindset as well right yes and we contacted everybody at first saying no classes till further notice and then explained that we were gonna work on the and teaching online on zoom and we started with the older kids knowing that um, they would have the most patience because they've been with us for the longest and they also come every day um, and those kids you know they were like two days off class for them is like the end of the world so they were up for doing anything and we started on that first wednesday and we didn't stop until june 6 with them uh, and then we gradually added the neck we kept going we went from the highest level to the lowest level which is our little three or three to five year old creative movement classes. And they, we, they all danced online. There were maybe a few that didn't have um, Wi-Fi, And then there were a few that didn't, were not interested or just couldn't deal with like probably getting their kid uh, in a space to learn it on their own, uh, to get on Zoom. Sometimes it's hard, it's very two dimensional it's not three-dimensional, so when you're moving your legs a certain direction, they're confused at, like, also they're used to looking from either behind and through the mirror, all that stuff. So to learn this step is complicated, and I know that firsthand because I have been take, turning off my video camera and taking the classes with the students just kind of to experience it. And I got to tell you, honestly, is I don't like for me as a dancer if I had to go through this I wouldn't I wouldn't I don't know if I would, uh, I'm saying that now but um, it's challenging so I have so much admiration for the dancers especially the more advanced kids that are want to make a career and all the professional dancers that don't have a studio and are doing this training on their on their own it's very challenging but they keep going. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Bronwyn. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, we, we've just been blown away by the perseverance of our students. Like, there's been times that Heidi and Sergio and I were feeling a little down, like, you know, how, how can we keep this going? And then they just surprised us with testimonials about how much they appreciate what we're doing, how much they miss us, um, what it all means to them. And that just really keeps us motivated. And it's a it's an amazing, amazing thing. So we had a full schedule of classes within two, three weeks. And uh, we and we went right through our, our spring break, actually. We didn't have a, because some kids, we didn't, 
I don't know, we felt really strongly that we didn't want, um, we wanted to be a continuation of the year as normal as possible. Um, so since they had missed two weeks, some of those kids, we went straight through until the last day, which was June 6th. I think the students are also learning how to do things too, because they, um, at the end of the school year, normally we do an end of the year performance. It's really sad for the seniors because normally they get showcased doing something special in the end of the year of school performance. And we had three seniors this year and three like really beautiful dancers. So we had this whole plan of what the school performance was gonna be like and didn't happen. But in the, like somewhere in the end of June, one of those students put together a video of all the pre-professional kids of them dancing. What was the song, BB? Uh, oh, better, better when we're dancing together. Better when we're dancing together. It was the sweetest thing ever, and I'm like, gosh, they, they like they did this for us for everything that we've done, and I'm just like, thank you for sticking with us. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, so there were, I was going to ask you, aside from the Nutcracker, other performances, now of course the Nutcracker was back in December, but the what other performance did you have? I know you had like a spring gala that probably... So usually we do a spring gala in May, that is, in, and then we tried, we, uh, the plan was to postpone it to July, and of course then we had to cancel, but for me that huge heartbreaker because it's the time where I, we can bring like incredible dancers, incredible choreographers, our own, highlight our students. And almost like every time we give that performance, the word on the street is it's the best thing that they've got, best of dance performance they've ever seen. And it's up close, it's at Nichols, so it's up close. You can, and then they get to meet the dancers. So, not doing that it was kind of a heartbreak do you have other recitals in plans aside from the one that you just mentioned that was like a, a senior end of year performance the gala that um is get was is with guest artists that's in may and then the end of the year performance in june and then in october we had planned to bring back baba yaga which i don't know if you know about that but that's like a it's a really fun ballet for mostly children and then there's a witch in it played by Sergio that we've done a number of years and it's the performance that we bring we fill shades with school children and they just love it it's only an hour um, there's some special effects there's a house on chicken legs but so we had planned to do that and we'd applied for grants for that and obviously we had to cancel, but both play, both foundations, um, Cullen Foundation and a foundation called uh, Ray Charitable Trust, they both granted us the money anyway and asked, said that we could, knowing that we would be canceling things and it would cost, cause us some issues, they gave us support to use to bridge the gap. So we feel fortunate in that way. When is this airing, by the way? This will be the, this is going to be for the 3rd of August. Okay. Oh, perfect. Okay, so that, so then, okay, so as far as like the, the blows, the big blows to Neglia, um, can't, so canceling the gala, big blow, not so much financially, but just um, performance-wise, performance and, and uh, school performance, 
summer program having to do it online it's usually the the program that makes it helps us through the end of the year um, because it's a condensed time and we've lost 75 percent of our income on that mm. um, for that program um, and then Baba Yaga, uh, it's, that's another program loss, but not a financial loss necessarily. And then Nutcracker is a big one. There's, there's no way to do Nutcracker, even if things are going well by then. There's, it, it takes months of preparation, I'm sure. You have to cut the house. You know, it's not, it's not like, you know, it's with the BPO, they get paid. It's with Shays, they get paid. Um, uh, people may think that we're raking it in, but it, we, do, you know, it's it's also a costly show. It does bring us income, but at the same time, we can't afford to do it for a quarter of the house being filled. You know, um, I haven't spoken to Michael Murphy yet. I'm I'm supposed to speak to him within the next couple of weeks. So I I don't I mean I know that they're planning some kind of a season. And I, I, but I don't know what they're, yeah. I don't know what they're going to do about social distancing. I don't know anything about that. Frankly, they may not know either. Every theater, other theater I've spoken to is, well, we might do this or we might do this or there might be this. And yeah. so I, I don't know. Also, we have guest artists that come from Miami. <laughs> We're not going to bring them, you know, we can't. We can't plan to bring people from elsewhere. It would have to be all local. And then what if one person gets sick? Then ever, the whole cast has to be quarantined. Mm. You know, so. So many considerations. Yeah. So that, is, that was a big, you know, big, big chunk, big, big lump in the throat having. <laughs> you also have wellness classes and other things for adults there. Is that carrying on also? Yes, it, that's all on Zoom. All of it's on Zoom. The wellness was mostly a condition, kind of like a Pilates conditioning class yes. that I teach, um, and then the adult classes. That that has all been online. Uh, the conditioning class is also combined with students, so I'm always getting the enrollment for that. The adult class, I think they want to be in the studio, so that not too many people are sh showing up for that. Is there anybody still in the, in the studio, in, in your space there, besides you? It's just us, yeah. So it's me, Sergio, and Bronwyn. And it's, we're, we're very fortunate that we have a large space so that when we do come back, as of now, the plan is to come back with classes in September. And we have a pretty good plan that we're working on as far as social distancing. One hard, very difficult thing is that we're on the sixth floor. Huh? Really want to get in the elevator. So we're walking up six flights of stairs and we'll expect our students to do that also, which is going to be very tricky not impossible with three-year-olds. Yikes. We're looking at possibly just holding off on the little ones for a long while. Also, the idea of forcing them to be social distance at three years old is pretty sad. And it would be a full-time, that would be your full-time job in, instead of teaching. Yeah. Is I, I mean, we're talking about every school. I was a teacher for 30 years, okay. 32 years. And I can't imagine, and my were, mine were high school kids, but I can't imagine how you keep 
that age group to stop. He's touching me. He's, he's touching me. That kind of thing is going on all the time. He's, he's not six feet away. He's only three, he's four and a half, three. It'll be, it'll be a a major part of your, of your day. I'm sure your, your, your one hour classes will become two and a half hour classes. Right. Just, just because the first hour and a half, you know, is going to be uh, yeah. reading the riot act. Plan to keep our groups together. Uh, so we have our pre-professional group. They're in one studio. They come at say four fifteen, and then any other, if there's another class like the level four, they'll be in the next studio. They come a little later, so their entrances and exits are staggered. Um, so I think we'll end up with kids from from about age ten and up. Eight, nine, ten, up. Eight. It was probably the youngest. Do you think having a, a very large space? You have what five thousand square feet of of space. Might that be an advantage in in having a class that's way spaced out with students? Assuming you can get them to do that. For I mean, typically the younger kids don't move as much anyway, so they're pr- they're kind of in one spot, and then they can go one at a t- one at a time across the floor if they have to. Um, but the studio you see behind me is like 50 by 50. I mean, it's huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we can easily have 15 kids in here, no problem. And our classes are typically small too, so we don't have a, I, I don't know what the other studios are doing that have 30 kids in a class and their their studios are half the size. So in that respect, we don't have that issue, but we're definitely going to have a loss for a while on the enrollment and the the young kids like if we had like some studios also have that mall like they're in a mall so they're on the first floor so they could physically come and get the kid yes it'd be pretty tricky for us to get a classroom of eight five-year-olds and bring them six flights up the stairs and and because we're not allowing parents in either so you, you don't want Parents are going to want to leave their five, you know, it's just. May I just ask, have you been in communication with other dance studios, dance class, not not just in Western New York, but all, well, all over the world? Have you been sharing ideas and sharing problems and solutions with each other? Yes. Some of them are already open. So we've been able to look at other people's guidelines, which is going to be helpful. Um, I do. I mean, I. Uh, and they happen to be in Rhode Island, which is in a good, very good place right now as far as the COVID. Um, and, then, and then I know people in Ohio that have been, they started classes weeks ago, no math, like, okay. And so I'm, I'm looking at, we our um, priority is to be safe for families, for ourselves. And that's really all we care about right now is our students keeping them safe. And what the, the biggest thing that we have learned is that the students appreciate us so much. We did a, we did a social media campaign when this first started um, called I'm with Julia because, and you know, our older students, we don't talk that much. We teach, we, we, we're friendly. We, you know, we have a great relationship, but we're there to teach them to dance. We know they love to dance. But we didn't really understand the impact of what we had on them. And every, I don't know how many students replied, but all of them that replied, every single one said that Neglia was their second family. That's wonderful. That was one of the first, I'm with Neglia because they're home. 
<laughs> so that, that's lovely. That's to get that from each and then with the understanding that for now, the most important thing is to make our school survive and to keep training the kids uh, and, you know, we'll get to the performances. That's another hard part for the students is, you know, they look for the nutcrackers like they dream about it like forever from, you know, as soon as it is over, they're already thinking about the next these little ones have been like the littlest mouse to, you know, dancing a lead role in the second act. So that's, that is hard for them, but you know, we'll figure it out. Uh, <laughs> Where are you going, Bronwyn, with so, that face mask? i sorry. We just, so one of our students um, who is, she's moving back to Japan. She just came by to say goodbye. So she oh. just got here. What, what, you want to go say goodbye to her? And, you can sign out, right? So, no, I just, I, I will, but I, so Heidi can keep talking. But sign out, and so she can talk to Sumi, and then I'll see her after we're done. Okay, well, then I want to. Thank you, Peter. I appreciate th it. Thank you very much, Bronwyn. I appreciate your, your stopping in. Bye-bye. Did you have any, any specific problems in terms of, I know I asked you this before, but in terms of kids who had Wi-Fi and who didn't, and, and the difficulty of trying to maintain. For the most part, we were fine with Wi-Fi. Like there were kids, almost every day, there's one kid that has a connection problem, but it wasn't because they didn't have Wi-Fi. That is something that will affect us probably later on. Um, I mean, if we have to continue always being, you know, for an endless time, I can see that that's going to be an issue with kids that can't connect or enroll. Even if we start the year in studio, we may end up online. So we need to consider that for kids that um, might not have access. I'm not sure how we deal with that. I think it's a, I think it's a, a worldwide problem actually which is a little distressing but i don't i don't i don't really have a solution we were going to talk about the city dance program yeah so the city dance program obviously with schools not in session it's impossible to you know we've had this great collaboration with uh, public schools um where the kids have actually been coming to our studio which uh it's wonderful because they get the feeling of actually be an actual dance environment, whereas opposed to going into the schools where you're limited with the space and it's just uncomfortable. So that involves getting kids on buses and bring them to the studio. Um, I don't see that happening for a while. That's on indefinite hold. Which is really sad. We, uh, it's kind of, it's where we try to find talent and bring kids that wouldn't normally have a chance to dance and we offer them scholarships and that is affected for sure. That's a very, very sad loss. How many instructors do you have besides yourself and Sergio? We have just one other. So she teaches the adult classes and the little ones, but Sergio and I teach almost all the bulk of the classes. And do you expect that you're going to get specific guidelines or are you going to have to adapt based on what school guidelines are or? Working on our own specific 
guidelines, but we have been looking and looking and looking. <laughs> and I've been asking other, did you know, people, are we getting, There's there hasn't been really any government specifics on dance right now. And we actually were looking at the um, New York State website today, and we put in a call to Sean Ryan. Um, because there's no one to call, you know, you, to get a, actually a person to talk to right now is really tricky. But I have seen there are a couple of studios in town that are taking, that are already open. I'm not sure how that's working, hmm. um, but we're waiting. Yeah, perhaps just the mask and the distancing, I guess. I mean, so our plan is like we have plenty of room at the bar that they can be six feet apart. And when they come to the center, there's plenty of space. We'll, we'll mark it out. Um, the masks are very tricky because I have heard mixed reviews about, I mean, that is also a safety thing. It's very hot to have a mask on when you're dancing and breathing your own air. I mean, I don't think it's that healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, so we actually bought some, uh, you saw Bronwyn with a shield. That is actually quite comfortable, but I don't know if that's gonna- Substitute for a mask. I think it should, because you have to you do have to weigh the risk. It's better than no mask. Sure. So I've heard mixed things about having the mask on. That some, if you're doing athletic things, you should take the mask off. But then I'm. It's one of the it probably the closest analogy is gyms aren't open yet. Yeah. And because of your physical activity, and that's tantamount to, you know, working out in a gym, and the fact that they're talking about the fact that wearing a mask in the gym is going to be very difficult with the exertion and so on. But they're also in the gym, they're touching a lot of the same equipment. Like here, we're also going to mandate a spot for each student because we're just, we're doing one group in the big studio. We have three studios and we will only have, I think, three groups coming in in the fall. So each will have their own studio. So each group will be kind of contained in their own. So they'll only have contact with each other and the one teacher. Mm-hmm. And we'll switch off. Like so, I, I I plan to be teaching one group for a month, and then we switch. So we're with the same group. We're, you know, just trying to brainstorm about sure the least amount of risk. It's all new. <laughs> I'm, I am a little sick of it, <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I, you're sick I of it, but you're saying to yourself, this might go on for a little while yet, and yeah, we got to have to get in the mindset. The other thing that I was talking about, as far as the one thing that I think is really important is dancers are incredibly resilient. They're so strong and so disciplined. And most dancers, like professional dancers, they have time off where they're not training, but you have to do something to keep yourself together. And like Sergio and I would be off from May till September so you've got to maintain your shape. So we join a gym, we do class in our attic, but you didn't have Zoom. You know, you didn't have someone telling you what to do. I'm just trying to tell dancers that th- this is a this is normal for it's normal to have time off where you have to keep yourself together. It's just going to be a, a longer period of that. But you know, I think that at least having Zoom where. And then also like Facebook Live, Instagram Live, there are dancers like 
world-renowned dancers that are giving free classes online. I've seen some of them. Get the opportunity to do that. It's amazing. There's a thing called World Ballet, World Ballet Association, I think, that they've had all these guest teachers. And I took the class one day, and there were 100 dancers from all over the world, and some big names. Of course, I hid my screen so no one would see me, but <laughs> but I could see them. Um, but I mean, it's exciting in that respect that there is, again, that community, that we are all in this together and there are these special moments. It's just, you know, you have to remind yourself because it does get, it gets, it gets tiring. And to repeat something that I, that I hope we didn't lose from before, but I don't want to lose it. You've been getting students and teachers that you might not have had before because you can do them via Zoom. You're getting world-renowned teachers and students from other countries, other locations that you did not have before. Yes. Could you just yeah. briefly touch on that again? Sure. Um, even um, during the school year, we had a we had a few kids from Argentina that had to leave, but they were able to stay on the classes because they could just get on via Zoom. Um, we're able to bring guest teachers to teach Zoom, even whether we're in the studio or not. Our students are getting to take class with incredible artists where they wouldn't necessarily be able to get here in a normal situation. And for example, tomorrow we have a dancer, Julio Boca. He, he doesn't dance anymore, but he was a principal dancer with American Ballet Theater, one of the best male dancers in the world. And he's Argentinian, so he's friends with Sergio, and they were just having conversation, talking about what's going on. And then he offered, he said, I'm available. Is there a time slot that I could teach? So he's teaching tomorrow and the kids are just over the moon, excited, <laughs> so excited that we get Leo Boca to teach us for a day. More our opportunities like that, even when we're back in the studio. Well, that'd be great. I've kept you way over time and I think you missed, I think you missed another meeting. It's all my fault. Or, or maybe it's uh, not a meeting at all. You just have to go say goodbye to the young lady that's leaving. Is that correct? So this is other girl, Sumi. She's our student during the year. She's Japanese and her dad worked for um, Panasonic, which closed. So they're moving back to Japan. And this kind of all happened. Like we didn't ever get to, you know, hug or say goodbye. And she's here now to say goodbye. They're leaving on Saturday. but. I think she'll be able to do Zoom classes too eventually. Heidi, I just wanted to say that uh, although I thought a dance studio would be the most difficult situation to be in, it seems like you have really turned it around and made it into a positive. And I can say nothing more than congratulations and best of luck on continuing all of this into, the, into whatever amount of future we have to deal with it. Because it is clear to me that Neglia will survive and will be stronger than ever because of this. So thank you very much for joining me today. I hope I don't have to call you back and say, oh, you know, you talked about something and it was so important. I think mostly what I missed was me saying dumb things. So that's, that's okay. All right. Well, I have time. If, if you have to do it again, this is easy for me. Thanks very much, Heidi. Uh, the best of luck to Neglia and uh, uh, I, I don't know how you do it, but... Oh, I gotta go. All right, thank you so much. Nice talking to you, Heidi. Take care of yourself.
So did you get the impression that Heidi had had enough of me at the end? <laughs> no, really what happened was she had another appointment and I kept her like 10 minutes longer than she should have been there and she was very kind. Both of them were very gracious with lovely ladies. Thank you, Neglia. And now on to my buddy, Jim Pace from the Buffalo Musicians Union. Oh yeah, what are we doing here? Well, I want to talk business with you because... I've been talking to all of these various cultural organizations as well as as well as theaters. But Scott and I, when we started doing this podcast during the pandemic, the idea was, well, let's talk to other people who are greatly affected. So we're talking to large groups. And it never occurred to me until I saw your letter in the news that here's an unbelievably large group that has been tremendously influenced, affected by, in a very negative way, by this whole pandemic, by the quarantine first, and now even even now that we're loosening things up a, a little bit in New York State. Well, first of all, you're the president of the union, but tell me what what areas do you encompass, you personally? Well, the, I'm president of the Buffalo Musicians Association, that's Local 92, and our parent organization is the American Federation of Musicians of the United States and Canada. And is Buffalo, in, when you say Buffalo, do you, are you including the surrounding suburbs, Niagara Falls, and so on? Well, like any other unions or locals, there's a jurisdiction uh, territory, and ours is Erie County and Niagara County. Okay. All of Erie County and all of Niagara County. Okay. You have local offices. You just have one office. You and Wendy work there? and, and... Yeah, one office. Was that closed down? Well, we closed for a little while, but... I mean, business kept going on, you know, members dues came in and, and different things had to be done. So Wendy went in as secretary treasurer on a very limited basis. The building itself that we're in was pretty much shut down. There was nobody else in there. Mm -hmm. So she was able to go in. And then when we got to stage four, we could uh, actually open under the business guidelines. And, you know, we followed the, the template that the New York State Health Department had and did all of the protocol that needed to be done. And, and so... So the office is open full time now. We're just not having our members come up personally yet. We just felt all the business that can be conducted can be done online or by phone. And there's no reason for anybody to come up. They would come up before to pick up parts for shows and things like that, but there aren't any. So right. there's, no, there's no reason for them to physically come up. Have you had to do any kind of maintenance on that office? Just just open, it's just you and Wendy. So, and of course, you know, you're together anyway. Well, yeah, right. It doesn't, I mean, we've done some, but the building itself is being maintained by the, the you know, the, the landlord. Yeah, the landlord. They take care of the building. Mm -hmm. And our office is just, you know, it's just it's the two of us and we're married anyway. Right. Minimal that we had to do. Is there anything in particular problems you've had to deal with as president because of this pandemic? And let's not even get into yet the, you know, the amount of work that's been lost, but any particular problems that you've been having to deal with as, as president of the union? Well, if you're going to wait and talk about the work that's lost, that would be the biggest problem. <laughs> work that's lost and helping, trying to help out-of-work musicians find some financial assistance. With the freelancers, which is almost 90% of our membership of our local, it's been almost impossible for them to get unemployment compensation, even with the pandemic fund that was supposedly created for so-called gig economy, which we created yes. as freelance musicians. But, you know, talking to a number of people, and I've even looked into it personally because I've lost all of my, my freelance work. Most of these jobs, you're paid 
below what would be needed to be reported. So there's no 1099s involved. Uh, some of the bigger shows like at Shays, yes, there are, but, but most of the one night stands at bars and restaurants and banquet rooms, there's no paper trail. Uh, unless some musicians have actually have a, like a, they have a business in their name, mm -hmm. they put the money in and they pay themselves. So they have a record. So they've been able to, some of them have been able to collect. Now you're differentiating between people who work at Shays or the Philharmonic. Those are full-time gigs or, or at least they're under contract as opposed to people who work in bars and weddings and, and beer tents and so on as, as you have. Well, the only really full-time musicians we have in town technically are the Buffalo Philharmonic. Okay. And then the ones at Shays and the other theaters where we, ha we have agreements with all those venues so those people are have been able to collect if they've pursued it because there's you know written payrolls involving with involving that. So you know it's it's just been difficult for for a lot of people that they're freelancers. Uh, is have you heard any word at all about anyone going back to any kind of uh, gig work at all in Western New York? Yeah, there are some limited limited groups that are, are starting to get out there. One of my bands, the Frankfurters, had a had a backyard party on the 4th of July, which was nice. Our first paid gig, you know, <laughs> since this started. Last Friday, I went up to catch one of our, tri our jazz trios that was playing at the Hotel Henry, which has started, uh, you know, their Friday night jazz series up again. It's outdoors, so it's fine. Mm -hmm. And they were happy to be working. And the, the biggest thing is that the Buffalo Philharmonic is now working to get back to perform live performances and we're actually in, involved in uh, negotiations with management right now and an AFM representative negotiator to come up with a side letter to their contract their collective bargaining agreement that allows them to have smaller groups and chamber groups and whatnot uh. while this is going on with smaller audiences so we're working on that that's actually Negotiations have started with that already. That's great. I, I did speak to Dan Hart, as a matter of fact, uh, and he had spoken about how, you know, how the musicians were under contract and so on and so forth. But of course, my greatest concern, I mean, your greatest concern, I'm sure, is for the, the gig workers, the guys who are freelancers. And many of them, this is where they make not all of their money. I'm sure everybody's got side gigs. Some of them are, some of the musicians I know are teachers. And we'll get into you know the teaching situation in a minute, but they also have private lessons as as well. So that's got to be you know adapting to private lessons on Zoom. I'm sure you've heard something about this. Is is that going on quite regularly? Is there is there something that you have done or or that is there a resource available to someone? If I was a musician and I'd call you up and say, Jim, I'm going to start doing my all my lessons are going to be on Zoom. Can you recommend some place that I can get some tips or some, you know, ideas about how to do it more efficiently? Well, what I would do is refer them to people that are doing it. Mm -hmm. We have a number of members that are actually doing that and, uh, you know, are able to get paid and the whole thing. And, and they have the Zoom lessons back to back one after the other and have done quite well. Uh, with that. I mean, there's not, no structure for that with the union or the American Federation of Musicians. People have kind of come up with their own ways of doing it, which they've also done with live performances too, as you know, yeah. you know, doing virtual performances and things like that, even including uh, virtual tip jars and things that you can pay the band. Yes. So 
there hasn't been a lot of guidance from our parent organization on this. It's a whole new world. Nobody, it is. nobody had to deal with this before. It's everybody's inventing the wheel from scratch. The creativity is actually coming from our members themselves, who are coming mm -hmm. up with ways to to do uh, virtual performances or limited outdoor performances or even inside performances. Yeah, it's kind of everybody's on their own. We, we give, yeah. give them the guidance that we can. You know, we let them know whatever we know from the American Federation of Musicians, as well as the AFL-CIO, which has been a good resource for our musicians, too. Have you communicated with other people around the world who've been had a head start on this? Has, has there been any information coming from other places about how musicians elsewhere are dealing with it, or is it just strictly... Not that I've heard of. I mean, I've seen a couple of virtual performances from mm -hmm. European orchestras and stuff, and that first started... But as far as how they're dealing with it financially, honestly, I haven't heard anything from any place outside the United States. I just can't even imagine that there are any tricks. This is just a tremendous financial hit. A, a buddy of mine is one of those uh, dueling piano guys, and he plays down in Carolina, and he does virtual concerts, I, I don't even know how many times, two, three times a week. Yeah. As you said, he's got the Venmo tip jar and everything and i mean it well i mean i'll give you an example of, of one of my bands the, the german band the frankfurters uh we were doing a recording of a couple tunes that were supposedly going to be used for the uh, mnt concert series which was canceled right uh, and it ended up they couldn't use it which was fine but at the end of when we recorded this one of the guys says you know why don't we just do a live facebook thing right now because we have a facebook account and i says okay so we we played a tune or two and put it on facebook and the response was absolutely unbelievable. Yeah. Like a thousand views. Mm -hmm. There's no even publicity for it. So what we started to do is every other week, we go to another band member's backyard and do another 15-minute live broadcast just to keep interest up. And now it's to the point where we're going to probably do a live concert in a few weeks and people will pay to you know, to see it because there's just so much interest out there. Yeah, and pe people are as desperate for entertainment as you people are. You play in somebody's backyard before you know it, there's people coming from all over the neighborhood to listen. Ears <laughs> cheering and, you know, they, they're just dying for that sort of thing. Do you have to practice some kind of distancing within the band? Well, to be honest with you, we, we're pretty much set up the way we usually are. You're pretty far away, yeah. Yeah, we're fairly well spaced out. And I mean, we've been doing this for over a month and a half now, so uh, nobody's been sick. And everybody's been tested negative. Yeah. So oh, is that right? We're fine. Yeah. What about what about the technology behind it? Do you have to do any like a special miking everybody, or do you just set up a couple mics and well, go with the flow? Actually, it's been even simpler than that. We've just used one of the guys' phones and oh. an acoustic, <laughs> except for one time when we actually brought some some mics and stuff because we're going to do vocals and things like that, but. Acoustically, the sound was tremendous. That's amazing. It was just the phone. Yeah. Because I see these, you know, I see these guys on Jimmy Fallon and on Colbert, and, and it's like something has revived, <laughs> you know, the, the music video. Yeah. Everything's like a music video now, but sometimes the sound quality, and it's not just that they're lip syncing to a recording. Sometimes you can see that they're playing live, and I'm thinking, and it all has to do, I'm sure, with the you know the quality of the microphone they're using as opposed to this little dinky one I have on the computer here. Yeah. But sometimes the sound is just spectacular. It, it's, it's The sound, the, the picture quality of these phones is just unbelievable. I mean, that's the one good thing. The technology is there now that musicians are able to do this stuff. Yeah. What do you hear about going back to school? 
Not you, because no, I know. Yeah. No, I, I actually one of the guys in our band is a is a, a band director at you know Hamburg Schools, and so you know he's uh, just the other day we we did a recording thing online, and he talked about you know the new directive, which is what 140 some pages long. Mm-hmm. He says it's just mind boggling what they're going to have to go through. With limited number of kids coming one day, maybe be will be just uh, virtual, you know online learning uh, as far as he's concerned being a band director he'll probably have just small ensembles you're not going to have a big band at any one time because not all the kids are going to be there at one time you know and then there's the whole issue of the instruments themselves blowing through instruments mm-hmm. or singing you know the, anything where, where there, there's air coming out projection right studies going on right now about that and they pretty much concluded that you know the social distancing will handle it you know, because even with the witness, it doesn't carry, the contaminants don't carry that far out of, mm-hmm. they pretty much drop. I see. Yeah. And so that's why, like, the Buffalo Philharmonic is, is going to be able to, you know, start putting things together with distancing and maybe some shields by the wind players because this, they found that it doesn't carry that. Well, the first thing I thought of when I, of course, the first thing I thought of was, thank God, I don't have to make any decisions about how I'm going to deal with going back to teaching. Oh, and I'm sure the th- same thing crossed your mind. Imagine if we had to go back to classroom, and I'm thinking, uh, what would I do? And then I thought about you guys, because I've been, you know, I've been down in the, in the music room many times. And number one, you got a great number of kids going in and out. You got, you got instruments that are in common that kids use over and over again. Not just the kids who bring their own clarinets and things from home, but you got stuff that just lives there in kids. You, and, and then you got spit valves and all sorts of things. I'm thinking about. Like you said, I'm glad I don't have to deal with it. I mean, I'm just looking at the protocols that the Philharmonic is going to have to use, like say regarding the spit valves. You know, they're going to have to have a little container by their chair to empty their condensation into, and then some set, uh, cleaning personnel comes through later and cleans that out, like a spittoon. Yeah, right. And so that they're going to have to do something like that in the schools. Apparently, I I don't know, but it's it's daunting to say the least. And even the end of last school year. You know, talking to the, the the band director where we taught, you know, at Lakeshore, what he was, the nightmare that he was going through. One of the things that he had a problem with, he was basically like on call almost 24 hours a day. Whenever the kid would want to take a lesson, he had to be ready. Even if it was 11 o'clock at night, he says, do we do this anymore? Yeah. So they had to, they had to do some tweaking on that to make an actual day, you know, an actual school day, because it wasn't happening initially. It was just an open-ended thing. Well, you know, the same, same thing I've been saying to theater people, whoever's the first one to open, and in your case, whatever the first school is, and let's hope it's not Buffalo because they're going to need as much help as they can, but whatever the whoever the first school system is to open, wherever it is in the country, and they have to deal with whatever these restrictions are, is going to set the tone, you know, here's what works, here's what doesn't work, here's what's got to be done better, here's what we're having problems with, and, and so that one good thing about this Zoom baloney is that people are sharing information from all over the world. That's why I asked you that question earlier. P- people are asking questions of each other, so that everybody's in this together. It's not like the Buffalo Union is the only one who has suffered tremendous loss of gigs, first of all, but is trying to figure out how to, how to deal with these things. Do you expect that there's going to be that there are going to be any specific requirements put out by the government for specifically music teachers or music environments 
or do you think it's just going to have to be adapted? You know, I don't, I don't think they're going to come up with anything because especially when it comes to music, you know, the outside world outside of music is pretty ignorant of what, what really is involved. Right. You really don't know. Uh, so I think it's going to have to be up to the individual school districts and the, and the music teachers. It's the music teachers, I think, that are going to be the most at risk, not the students. This, mm. this seems to be a disease that doesn't seem to affect them very much. Yes. It's, it's the teachers themselves that I'd be concerned about. And I'm, like I said, like you said, I agree. I, I'm glad I'm not having to think about that part. It's going to be a pretty much a wasted year for them. I mean, it's just get by, get through mm -hmm. the program alive, somehow get these kids to, you know, blow on their horns a little bit. And hopefully things will get better when a vaccine comes out or it burns out or something ends and then they can go back to normalcy. Yeah, just accomplish what you can accomplish. Yeah. Don't have any great aspirations. You were not going to be doing the entire canon of Mozart this year. Or... Exactly what the Philharmonic's doing, too. You know, they're, they're going to have a, a, a rotating uh, program of chambers, small ensembles. There's some uh, full orchestra pieces that are small orchestras that they'll be able to do as time goes on. But it's going to be a season, or at least part of a season, where it's it's just going to be smaller ensembles, and they're going to rotate through. Okay, let's have a brass group now. Let's do a percussion thing, you know, so that everybody gets a chance. Those that don't feel comfortable, yes, yes, the musicians I'm talking about, may not have to do this. That's part of the negotiations that we're doing right now. Jim, you mentioned that the, the Philharmonic, you're doing a contract negotiations for some kind of a codicil or, or something, an add-on. It's a side letter. A side letter. What, why is that necessary if they go from the large uh, performing group to smaller groups? Well, because it implements a lot of these COVID protocols that are going to be put in writing. Uh, which doors they have to go in and which door they leave from. How they're going to handle the sheet music. You know, it's all going to be different than it was. You know, where, where's the warm-up rooms going to be? Mm. You know, all these different things, because that, that was, you know, all in the old one, and that we have to temporarily suspend a lot of that stuff. So we're not, instead of opening up the, the contract, which, you know, that's a, that's a can of worms. You don't want to get into that. No. What you're doing and what a lot of the other orchestras are doing in the same situation is coming up with a side letter of agreement, which we've done for other things too, Sure. that will handle this situation for hopefully, we're, if we get this implemented for the year, for another year, uh, if it if it needed, if needed, so yes, you know, and that's what we're, we're working on. See, the, the the orchestra is very very important to the union because we get much of our operating budget from the work dues from that organization. I see. We want to see them working. We want the musicians to be back to work in a healthy environment, but it also will sustain the local. We we couldn't sustain ourselves with just members dues. We need the work dues that come from our contracted venues. The BPO is the biggest one, but then Shays is another one, Cavanoke is another one, all the ones we have contracts with to supply us with work dues above and beyond our membership dues. That's how we operate. And it brings up exactly the point you just made, which was people don't understand all that's involved, as I didn't when I asked you what's the side letter for, because you don't think about the fact that you have to people have to enter from one door and exit exit into another door so that right. people aren't crossing paths and and who handles the music it, right. it's all of it who empties the spit valve spittoon who all of that stuff has to be you know you could probably do a nice commercial right now for the value of unions because i mean that's the necessity of having an organized group negotiate god knows we never expected something this this horrifying to have to deal with, but the fact that you guys have to deal with all of these 
contingencies and somebody's got to set down some rules. Well, and the thing is too, we've, we've been a clearinghouse for our members, all of our members, not just the fill but all of our members who, you know, were worried, well, what, what can we do? Can we apply for unemployment? We have somebody on that's uh, an expert in that, that we can refer mm -hmm. to. And, and consequently, we haven't lost anybody. Even though there's no work, they realize that we're doing the best we can in helping them to get through this, which we will. We'll get through this because there's no place else for them to turn. Mm -hmm. I mean, just for example, how the outside world doesn't understand us. You know, when you go on the to try to apply for unemployment, they ask you, well, okay, who, who did you, who was your last employer? Well, there's 20 of them. You know, <laughs> if you're most freelance players, you know, you want to talk about Johnny Smith's daughter, who you played the wedding for, you know, or this backyard barbecue or some bar. I mean, it's not just, you know, one employer. There's many, many of them. It, right. And they have no idea what, you know, that what that is, that, that kind of world. It's, <laughs> and I know there are plenty of musicians who aren't even in the union, but, oh, man, it, it must be difficult to have nobody to turn to except your, your fellow, you know, steel pedal guitar player or you know and the amazing thing is we've actually gained new members during this i'm not surprised word has gotten out look i mean th we're the one place that musicians can turn to is the, the we've been around a while you know <laughs> the buffalo union logo 92 was established in 1897 the year after the american federation of musicians was established so <laughs> it's been the go-to thing for a long time and some of these freelance or some of these uh, non-union players out there are, are getting the word say look you know join the union because that's that's the only group that's around that can help you that's amazing uh, just uh, as a side do you got any books in the works no no <laughs> Uh, I had, there was one. Jim Pace is the author of the uh, History of West Seneca book, and he never fails to rub it in. No, I, I don't have that. That's the, the media rubs that in your nose already for me. <laughs> Jim Pace, author, I know that how much. Author, oh, it just, it just. Well, no, actually, I, I did have one that I was going to do as a sequel to the last one. We're going to, the Historical Society was going to self-publish it, but that was right before the, all the COVID things started, and then like everything else, our museum shut down too, you know. Of course, We're sure. Getting ready to open next month, finally. So are you still involved with the with yeah, the museum? Still there? A town historian. Yeah. Oh, that's I'm amazing. Not the, I'm not the president anymore. I stepped down from that, thank God, just before this. Just <laughs> <So the new laughs> what you needed is another place to have to make decisions and yeah, no, oh. I, I don't have to do any decisions with the museum right now. I'm just the town historian. Well, listen, Jim. I I think you've co we've covered everything you need. To, we need to cover. I I really wanted to hear from someone who is close to the people who are really suffering. I don't want to get into the politics of it. Let's just say our leaders are try trying to do the best they can, but they don't understand so much, and they don't understand the the ripple effect of these decisions. Okay, you closed down the restaurants for a while. Mm -hmm. Okay, well now you're not just affecting the restaurants. You're, of course, the staff, the waitresses, you're affecting the vendors that supply it. You're affecting the musicians that might play there. I did a, a, a we're doing a directory for our union right now. We felt it's a good time to actually publish a directory so they have a, a hard copy we haven't done in a while. So they get something for their dues right now. But the printer was telling me about all the work they've lost because of restaurants that have closed. And nobody thinks of that. Nobody thinks about that part. You know, it's mm -hmm. just... Yeah, it's just closed the restaurant because of the bars. Well, wait a minute. There's another whole, you know, my brother does, does uh, sales for the, the, the 
the maintenance of these places, you know, with sanitizers, rug cleaning and all that stuff, they've been shut down because of that. You know, it's, yeah. it's not just one thing. So, but the musicians have been one thing that I think most people haven't even realized until frankly, that letter, which we then put on our Facebook page, the response was absolutely overwhelming. Our webmaster- You got good response to it. He said, we've never gotten a hit like this before. I don't know how many thousands and thousands of views it got from all over the world. Yeah. Yeah, which, because it struck a nerve. That's what we're all going through. I just want to say before what the letter was, you wrote a letter to the editor of the Buffalo News in which you outlined some of the, uh, the amount of suffering that has been going on with musicians. And as you said, that people haven't even thought about. I mean, we know we miss music. We miss it when it's, you know, when we're sitting in the, but we don't think about they are making a living or supplementing some other living doing individual lessons or something. So your letter sort of outlined all of that. And, you didn't do much except to say, please think about this next time. And and next when we finally get the opportunity, hire some real musicians. Right. Instead of just playing a jukebox in the background, hire some musicians is right. pretty much what you said. And the, the thing that really has struck me in talking to other musicians too is the, the feeling of helplessness with this. We're not like a business that can you know institute certain protocols and put spacing spot and things on the floor and put, we're, we're totally dependent on the venues that hire us or the, the individuals that hire us for their parties or whatever it is. Yes. Nothing we can do to, to help that. I mean, we can't make our, our end of it any more COVID friendly or whatever, you know, there's, we have to wait till the bars open, the banquet rooms open, the families have a get together, the concert halls, the park concerts, everything the weddings back on things like that well i got a call a couple days ago of a wedding that we had booked and she said we're doing it we're we're, (laughs) the the hall is all set they've got you know they're all fine for the capacity of the crowd and the band's going to be isolated from them and everything so it's going on thank god but uh, you know but we there's nothing we could do to make that move along we no, you're at the you're at the mercy of those who hire you and if, and if they're not hiring, they're not hiring. What, if they can't hire, I should say, right. they can't hire. So that's the one thing I, I wanted to point out with that was, you know, we're just waiting, waiting to be able to perform again. That's what, what musicians want. And, uh, you know, one thing that I have told a number of musicians, because as you mentioned, you know, I'm a history guy too. So I try to compare this to the Spanish flu of 1919. And I tell everybody, do you know what happened after that? the roaring 20s. So I think when this is over, we're going to be booming in all this. There's going to be a big bounce back. Yes. People yeah. just want it. They want it so badly again. They took it for granted before, and now that it's not there, they realize how much they, they enjoyed live music. Anything else you'd like to say, Jim, before I say adios? No, I, uh, you know, thank you for uh, interviewing me with this, and uh, I hope that everybody that's listening out there will, again, keep the musicians in mind you know, once this ends or as it's as it's starting to end, when there's any, mm-hmm. you know, we find out that there's a live group performing. I mean, I'm a union guy. I'd like to support the union people. But really, at this point, any live band that's out there. Any live musician. Get out there and support, you know, because they're all hurting. And so support them while they start to get out there. And if there anybody that's listening is in any position to hire them in the future, please think of that. Don't download something or, you know, pirate something or you know, do it like the easy way, push a button, 
hire the live musicians that did the recordings in the first place. Right, that are doing the work. Very good. Listen, say hi to Wendy for me. Stay safe and sane, my friend. I'm so glad you did this. I wish I had thought of it sooner, but uh, your letter sparked something in me, and I said, this is... I appreciate that. Thank you very much, and uh, good to see you. Thanks, Jim. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. See? The Musicians Union is doing stuff for all of us and especially for those musicians. Now listen, here's the deal. I've got another tale from the bunker with a mystery guest. And yes, I am aware that these have all been actors, but frankly, those are the ones whose voices are most familiar to most of the audience. So here's another tale from the bunker with another friend of mine, a mystery guest. Ooh, I wonder what's in here. Tales from the Bunker. So Pete Palmasano asked what I've been doing. I've been on the computer doing lots of zooming because now I work from home, don't travel very far. In fact, don't know why I still own a car, but things are good. Not that bad. My office mates are the best I've ever had. It's my wife and kids, my two kitty cats, and a funny little dog. So I'm glad about that. But it's strange to think how much things have changed in the blink of an eye. Everything was rearranged. We used to be out, running all around. We were always doing something. We never slowed down. So even though we had no choice in it, it's good to take pause and think a little bit about what's important, how we spend our time. I mean, hey, look at me. I'm learning to rhyme. But really and truly, all joking aside, time keeps moving on. We're just along for the ride. So I'm trying to do the things I said I'd do, like playing more guitar, teach the kids something new. Well, I gotta go. Now I got another Zoom call. I hope you got what you need, Peter Paul Masano. Oh, yeah. All right, Pete. Talk to you later, man. All right, how do I switch Zoom to Gridview? Oh, God. This sucks. Is this still on? Holy mackerel, I hope that didn't set too high a bar for those of you who are still considering sending in your tales from your bunker. We'll reveal who that was later. But now, it's time for Michael Murphy from Shays, and it starts off with just my usual boring question. Because let's face it, it's me. But then Michael takes it in a completely unexpected direction, and it becomes, I know I use this word too much, but it becomes fascinating. How have you been doing aside from that? Things are changing daily, I'm sure. Yep. Uh, for a while, they would change by the hour. Now they're changing daily. You know, I meant to ask you, because I don't remember. Was Shays in the middle of a show when all of this hit? We had done two of eight performances of Dolly with Carolee Carmelo, and uh, we were going to open Curious Incident that night. I remember Curious Incident. I remember the, you know, the uh, torment over that one, how awful that was. Uh, but that will be coming back anyway. Uh, the, the, the Dolly show was completely canceled or, or postponed? They were scheduled to complete their run mm-hmm. the following week, and they were going to finish in Rochester. So the tour just finished that Tuesday night, and some of them were getting ready to come to the theater and found out 
that they had closed without knowing it. Yeah, that was an awful thing for just about everybody. And and were you? And then what about the theater itself? Did did you like several days later after they moved everything out? Did you just have to close it down and seal it up tight, or were there people still left? Were, were there people still left, like on maintenance and so on? Is that when you have a national historic building is are there some requirements that you had to keep somebody there all at all times or so we uh had our chief engineer who would come in every day and check on all the systems in all three buildings and then we still do that uh, but gradually we started bringing some more people back after a couple of months um we now have two weeks ago we reopened our box office for a few hours a day we have some of our environmental staff on and we have um four five six seven depending on the day mm -hmm. administrative staff who are in preparing for the annual audit and things like that i see so did you have to go the ppp route and and get all of the just to keep people employed and so on we did I mean, I don't understand. You have three theaters that you're dealing with as well. It's not, people think of Shays, but of course there's 710 and there's, there's Smith Theater as well. And all of those have to be maintained in it. And uh, they're all incurring, you know, costs to some degree, I assume, even when it's, oh, yeah. even when it's closed down. <laughs> some things don't change. So anyway, I saw that you've recently, you have recently announced starting in December 1st, and then you mentioned to me the other day that uh, things are changing. You just you just don't know. I mean, you're you're going to go under a certain assumption at this point, but things might change. And and you're probably you probably have like the other theaters a lot of if this then this and if this then this sort of scenarios going. Would that be accurate to say? I mean, you don't have to tell me what they are, but you don't know what they are. <laughs> we have plenty. It would take a couple of hours to. <laughs> explain each one and the rabbit holes that you go down with each one. Yes. But uh, the we did announce um, the Tuesday after Independence Day what the plans are for moving forward. But it had taken, well, since March, I mean, everything, you know, every day, every hour working on what rescheduling would be like. We, of course, worked with El Nocellino, our presenting partner. Yes. And trying to determine what is going to be best, then uh, what is the governor saying, um, what's happening with Broadway. Uh, the Broadway producers are who we also work with on the touring shows. So they're looking at both worlds, the touring world and what's happening in New York. And because New York was the epicenter at that point, that really helped drive a lot of the thinking about what was going to happen and think the, that thinking being, wait, don't do anything that is rash, mm -hmm. unlike other parts of the country, I mean, because of what was going on in New York City. So uh, it got to the point that by late May, we were looking at what might be possible. There were some shows that were hoping to uh, begin their tours, uh, relaunch the tours, in October in different parts of the country in areas mm -hmm. that weren't at that point being as heavily affected with the hope that that would continue. So we were working five, six weeks before we announced on being able to announce. And something would happen one day where, oh, 
all right, well, let's wait till tomorrow and see what happens. Or, well, we can do these two things, but let's try to get all the information out so it's less confusing to everyone. And wow. So there were things happening every day that kept delaying. And then we were ready. Okay, we're going to do it the Tuesday after Independence Day. Then watching the television and news Independence Day weekend and see, seeing what was going on with the, the increasing cases, these spikes around the country and how people were behaving, not socially distancing, I knew it was all doomed. Yeah. And so while we still went forward with the announcement on Tuesday, because everything was lined up to do that, I, at, by that point, felt this is not realistic but it was the best information we were able to give people at that point. And we do not right now have any further information. If I expect that in the coming weeks, things will shift again. Uh, people may be a little more, well, I, I think everyone's gun shy, but we're gonna have to see how, what the next trends are. Uh, Broadway has announced that they've refunded through the beginning of January. I'm, I feel very confident that that will extend. Mm -hmm. uh, they have not announced when they will reopen, uh, just they've only announced when, what shows have specifically been canceled through. Up to what point they would definitely be closed. Correct. Yeah. So we, we wait and see. And you dealing with, with uh, all touring shows, well, not all touring shows, but Shays, they're, they're touring shows. And then, of course, the, nobody's going to tour just to come to Shays and not be able to go anywhere else in the country. Correct. Uh, didn't you, the, wasn't it originally that uh, Tootsie was supposed to launch from here? That's correct. As well as Mockingbird. Yes, but then launching to nowhere uh, doesn't make any sense. So that they may not even want, you're, you're dealing with things that are way beyond the scope of what every other theater in town is dealing with because you're also dealing with the companies and the, the production companies and the touring. Just out of curiosity, when, when this whole thing hit in March and, and you had to close down Dolly, did you have even the vaguest suspicion or, or hope that you might be opening up again by May or June? Or did you just know right off the bat that things are just too ugly? I didn't think touring would start up mm -hmm. until uh, September, early on. There was the hope that we might be able to reopen or open Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime in perhaps May. Mm -hmm. But by two weeks into, by the end of March, we knew that wasn't going to be possible. Yes. And uh, so like everyone else in the world, we're just waiting to see what happens next. Yes. And as you know, uh, Scott canceled his whole season very early of all of the locals. They made a decision to, to take all of 2021 and to make it 21-22. And then others are following to some degree, but every person I've talked to has a different, uh, has a different plan in mind and, and different scenarios and if this, then this sort of thing. So is it possible that you might be able to do things locally only at Smith and at 710 and not be able to get touring shows in here? Is that one of the possibilities? That is a possibility. Yeah. Depends on what is required by social distancing. Mm -hmm. um, if there are union actors, uh, what is required by Actors' Equity but I feel that any of the non-union theaters should follow what the union rules are requiring for equity I just, because they make sense Yes, and will be safe for everyone. So I discourage people or theaters from going against the 
for the recommendations by the unions because the unions have hired some important consultants who really understand what's going on. I think equity struggled like everyone to determine what are the best things and, the, and they were deluged with requests from theaters to do uh, taping, to do live performances. And so they struggled for a couple of months mm -hmm. to try to get things in order. And so I think there were theaters around the country who were frustrated that they weren't getting the response or the response they wanted. Yet I think equity was really trying to do the best they could under the circumstances and were no different, no better, no worse than the rest of us sure. in how we're uh, trying to, to deal with this. And if people think of Shays, of course, and, and, and the, the many, many seats you have there, and it, it, could you run at 50% and so on, but really that's not the issue. It's really has to do with the health and safety of the touring company and whatever the equity rules are, and even the, the, you know, the stagehands union and all of those sorts of things. And the Smith or, or 710, those could also be, I suppose, socially distant audience separations and so on. But then it comes down to what's financially viable to maintain a show in one of those theaters at a 50% capacity. And is that even, is that even possible? And if, to do the proper social distancing in the, in Shays Buffalo, yes. following all the rules, 3,000 seat theater, yes. we can fit just under 350 people. Wow. And at, and that's including the orchestra and the balcony and the box seats, any available seat, uh, because you have to keep your seats oh, six feet away from the aisles, yes. seats in front of you, behind you, kitty corner. You have, so we have each seat marked in the theater uh, that could be available if we ever did do something like that. At, uh, 710, it is 66 seats. I don't have the, the numbers in front of me, but That's okay. out of the 625, it's about that. And in order for these touring shows, particularly the Broadway, but even comedian, dance, uh, bands, you name it, they're not looking to be in 50% houses. No. You need to be able to sell every ticket. And Broadway runs at a very, very, very thin margin. Mm -hmm. So if we're selling below 90%, that can be dangerous, let alone 50% or whatever. So people may think, oh, why can't you just have a show in? But we're dealing with everyone around the country because these are touring shows, tours of one, two, three, 10 years, and what cities they're in, how you're matching up uh, with other shows, because you don't want to have shows on top of each other. So it's just like any season that we plan, you're trying to strike a balance of the product you have. Uh, you're trying to bring the best things to Buffalo, what the Buffalo audience is looking for. We're in the fortunate position of producers wanting to get to Buffalo early on in their runs, if at all possible. They love our audiences. But then you're, you're dealing with what's going on around the country. And now with COVID and what's going on, particularly along the Gulf states and really anywhere, but the spikes now, that's just really playing havoc with it. Everything has, has really been uh, amplified by, by these uh, spikes around the country that don't seem to be, they don't seem to be letting up. I, I assume, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, I assume you've been in contact with other theater operators as well, other artistic directors around the, around the country, right? I live on Zoom 
you probably have a Zoom meeting every every day. Yes, and we are particularly the senior staff, but uh, many of the staff of Shays are on various meetings, webinars, seminars, discussions, um, because many things are still going forward, and but also we're dealing with government and sources of aid. So we have a group of upstate theaters that meet together. All the large, not large, uh, mid-sized to large performing arts centers outside of New York and Long Island, we regularly meet. I meet with some of the local theater company heads. There's the cultural leaders, the 12 large cultural organizations in Buffalo. We meet every Monday uh, discussing our issues, what's going on, sharing information, helping each other out emotionally. Sure. Uh, I just became president of the National Alliance for Musical Theater. We meet every week uh, with a town hall, and that varies 40 to 70 people from around the country. On those, uh, they're also hosting various meetings about fundraising, marketing, reopening. After COVID, we bring in health experts. And of course, we're all now seriously learning from what happened after the George Floyd murder. Yes. And how to deal with, how to deal with racism, how to promote anti-racism. What do we really do as an industry? And it's interesting talking to people about that. There are so many people who who are not theater folks who think, okay, so you just have to diversify your staff or change how you're marketing. And no, in the arts, we need to dig deeper than that. Mm-hmm. And we have a responsibility to do that as the arts and and the the role that arts have in society and have for centuries. But the people who are creating, not just people who were serving with our product, which could be forks or tinfoil or peanut butter or nails, (laughs) we're talking about many other things. and, And the people who create, we're talking about the pipeline of what goes on in pre-K and how are students, young people exposed to the arts growing up? What are our institutions of higher learning not doing? What are we as arts leaders not doing? And really having to face all the things that we thought we've been doing right over the years. There are so many lessons that I've learned but uh, in the last uh, not even two months. But okay, so you do a play for Black History Month or you're doing something different with casting, but it goes much deeper than that. And those things have really not been successful. And the things that we as uh, white arts leaders have been proud of or thought we were doing the right thing, mm -mm, we had it wrong. And we were too ignorant to learn, to listen. And we've now... We're getting it, but it's, well, I say we're getting it. There's so much we don't know, and it's going to be a long learning process, but we have got to learn. We've got to learn as a country, and uh, that's that's one of the big things that's coming out of this whole past few months. And I think that the fact that COVID somehow gave us the opportunity to recognize this and we've got to take advantage of this time now. Not that we have more time, but we do have 
the opportunity to rethink what we're doing, how we market theater, not just because of COVID. What role is Zoom going to have, technology? How are people going to uh, think about theater in the future? But also dealing with anti-racism and how we address that across all the arts. And I get, um, there are parts of me that are very nervous because I want to do it right. I've got a lot to learn. But I also get excited that, okay, we're learning something. We're finally learning something. And what are we going to do with this? And in opening ourselves up to, to learning more, to admitting our mistakes, acknowledging our mistakes, and how do we work with the forces that are against us? And by forces, I mean government and other individuals who don't understand, who don't support uh, the things we're talking about. And God, I wish I could be around in 50 years to see the improvements that uh, our grandchildren and generations beyond are going to bring to. If we're lucky. I mean, I, I have a feeling that people 50 years ago said the same thing. And I feel like uh, somehow we turned the corner and found we were in the same spot again. And there, as you said, there, there's just so much more. The, the first time I read the list from White America, uh, We See You, White American Theater, Yes, it was a, a jolt. It was hard. And I really, really had to think about it a lot. I also had to reread uh, it many times and let each issue sink in as much as I was able to in that moment or those moments, but admitting that we weren't doing it right. They were good attempts. We were trying, but it ends up we weren't right. And we have to learn from that and really open ourselves up. I don't think, you know, you look back at uh, the 60s and the civil rights movement and progress that was made, but nowhere near enough. And yeah, in 50 years from now, they'll look back and we'll, they'll say we didn't do enough, but we've got to do whatever we can right now. And, and I think for the first time, our eyes and ears are really being opened. But I mean, you look around all the violence around the world and, and how people are treated so inhumanely uh, in every country, in all levels of society. It scares me that we don't have the right leaders around the world. And, you've, <laughs> and an example of that is you look at the female leaders of European countries and how successful they've been dealing with COVID and how the male leaders or New Zealand. of other countries in New Zealand, you're right, how the male leaders... Mm-mm. I've been saying this for years. I, I've, I, for years, I've said just let women run the world and we'll all be better off. You and I are of the same mind of that. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I, I absolutely believe that. And and again, not enough is being done in that area either in terms of women leadership. Correct. You know, when you think about it, the, the number of, uh, of congresswomen or, or even senators, it, it nowhere near where it ought to be, female senators. I, I can't wait to have a female of color yes. leading the U.S. Oh, I, I agree 100%. And I'm hoping that's real soon. You've spoken to people around the world, I'm sure, about theaters and, and situations, although our situation here in, in, in the United States is certainly at the forefront of, of, you know, of being problematic right now. 
Have you heard from people around the world uh, comments about what's going on racially in the United States? Only No, only what I, not in talking to colleagues, but only what I've read. I love reading foreign newspapers. Yes. Someday, whenever I retire, I just want to sit all day and read foreign newspapers, <laughs> um, the English language versions, but sure. because we have such a um, limited view of ourselves as a country. Yes. And anytime I've traveled or w w traveling abroad is what first, uh, 20 years ago, what first really opened my eyes to uh, what other countries think of us and having friends in other countries. Reading the news, it's shocking sometimes what you find out that you did not know mm -hmm. or you're looking at the different perspective. But so much that we don't report on in the U.S. and uh, whether it is MSNBC, CNN, or Fox, none of them touch it. Uh, I, I also, and I can't believe I'm going to admit this on your podcast, but I watch Fox probably a little too much, but because I want to hear what's going on. And, and I then find out what overreactions are being done on MSNBC and CNN and other uh, stations and networks. So hearing various opinions, uh, I think, are really healthy. I hope the New York Times goes back to having more varied opinions. They've taken heat recently for the Tom Cotton yes. editorial, which I thought was foolish. But on the other hand, no, that, uh, we, we need to, we need to hear, that perspective, hear those perspectives. And I don't want to shut that down too much. I mean, I uh, th no, there are parts of me that very much want to shut those things down. But, <laughs> but uh, I think it's important to hear. Yeah, you're, and you're not alone. I have other people whose opinion I respect who have told me the exact same thing. Because I, I will say, I, I can't watch it. I, I, it, I, it upsets me too much. Or no, well, I try to get the other perspective and see what they're saying. You have to know. And of course, other you know people like Bill Maher and all those guys are saying, you know, you've got to. You've got to, we've got to get our candidates on Fox News. They should be there. They should, that's where the, that's where the people are that you really need to be speaking to. Mm -hmm. I, I've kept you a long time. I just, but I want to go back just very quickly to the, have, have you come to any conclusions, not you, but you with the other theater managers and so on? Have you come to any conclusions on first steps you might like to take? Or I, I, it's impossible to say how long something might take to change. You mentioned 50 years, but have you said, and you, maybe you can't even tell me this right now, but have you said to yourselves, starting in the 21-22 the season, we're going to make these changes? And you don't have to tell me what changes they are, but have you come to the conclusion that there are certain things you can start doing starting with the next season? We've, we're starting. The first is listening. Yes. Talking about it, acknowledging it, taking every opportunity to try to understand more. I'm reading books, watching movies. I, I just finished watching um, When They See Us mm -hmm. about the Central Park Exonerated. I saw uh, that too. You know, and um, not that that's going to tell me everything that I need to know. It, it's so much deeper than that. I'm talking to consultants who can help advise us, whose jobs are to help people through these situations, businesses. There are lots of resources that are, there are resources that are being assembled, uh, coming together in the last couple of months that are becoming available to, to work in a better way with organizations. Uh, we have to look at our boards, our staffs, how we hire, how we recruit, how we market, uh, how we program, how we cast, how we choose directors, designers, et cetera. And 
in our situation, we're working with our local partners who we do shows with. Mm -hmm. We're looking at how the Broadway producers are going to be addressing these issues in the coming months and years through our uh, service organizations, such as National Alliance for Musical Theater, which I'm involved with. How do we support new artists? NAMPT does a New York Works Festival every year in New York. This year it's going to be done uh, virtual, uh, not on Zoom, but other uh, software designed to do something like this. But there are eight plays that, or eight musicals that are presented each year in uh, sections of the shows. And they very wisely, in the middle of the process, they got to their sixth show and realized these are the shows we'd like, but we do not have enough diversity yes. in this. And so they stopped the process and actively sought out more diversity. And uh, next week, they'll be determining two more shows to help round that out more. It's mm -hmm. still not enough, but it's a big step. So there are things that are happening, but there are, uh, once we get... But you haven't put out, not, but you haven't put out sort of a directive, not you personally, but again, the, but the group, the people, the, the, you know, all of the heads of these, of these theaters haven't said, look, let's try to do this, this, and this. Has, has that come to any, you know, something like, like very concrete, at least let's try to do this, this, and this. Well, no, Lort, of which I was yes. uh, a managing member of for many years, has done that, mm -hmm. and and dealing with internships as well, uh, and very focused. They were focused on the pipeline as well, but also playwrights and all of that. Clearly, not doing the right things, not doing enough. So we're all having to relearn and rethink. And NAMPT uh, has always discussed the issue, but now we're taking it much more seriously. So, uh, and we're, we've reached out to Equity and uh, have had one meeting with them and look forward to working with them further on these issues. So there are small, tiny little steps being made. We're all, yesterday I was just on a NAMPT meeting where we were, this was the topic and we brought some people in to talk with us on Zoom, but as far as a, a solid plan, no, everyone is working right now trying to figure out what is best for you. And and in NAMPT, it's all a variety of groups, performing arts centers, small theaters, large theaters all around the country. We have a couple of European and Canadian members. Musical Fair recently joined. Uh, they're a part of that. So we all have different needs. Yes, uh, I understand. And so I don't think coming up with a set of things for that. It's not a one shoe fits all. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Right. But, but the point is that there is a greater awareness and it's, it's come to the forefront. Everyone has it right there in front of them now. So that even when they were choosing plays, choosing musicals, all of a sudden they said, well, you know what I just realized? This is not diverse enough. <laughs> Once again, we're falling into old habits and what, what has worked in the past and what has, the, the, the order that we follow in the past is not exactly what we need. It needs to, it needs to be different. Mm -hmm. it, it needs to be better. Listen, thank you so much for this conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, let me just ask you in closing, final words of hope, anything? What, what can you say that will leave us on a positive note? I, we're going to be back. All theater will be back. And what I said early on is that People may not look at the arts as being essential, but when we are back, people are going to realize what they've been missing. 
quite clearly how essential the arts are to their lives, to their communities, to the to the world, and what role we're really playing. It's not just about what music you're listening to or what dance or piece you're seeing or musical or artwork or poetry or everything in between and around. It's all the things that are related to art. People don't realize that the clothes they're wearing are art. Mm -hmm. They were created by a designer. That the pen they're carrying is created by a designer who used art techniques to determine how to best design that pen. Yes. There, whatever it is. And, but, uh, but back to arts, as we typically talk about them, yeah, we're going to be more essential than ever. And I'm looking forward to that day when we're all back together in a room when the curtain comes up at eight o'clock and uh, magic starts happening on the stage. That, that magic, yes. It seems like it, it's been, it, it's, it's so strange because I was talking to my daughter who's been visiting. For my birthday in January, we went to Chicago. She's from Atlanta and I met her and my two granddaughters and we went to Chicago and we saw Hamilton in the last week of, the, of its run. And today she said to me, or not today, but a few days ago, she said, was that this year? Because it seems like these past four months have seemed like years. Yeah. And I, I've said to people in the past, you know, okay, so maybe we can't start the theater season. Maybe we have to wait another six months or what, maybe what, but, but it will happen. It just right now, you, you say to yourself, oh my God, it's only been four or five months. It feels so much longer. And to say it's going to be another four or five months seems like you're saying it, it'll be back in two or three years. But no, I, I agree with you. It will be back stronger than ever, more appreciated than ever. And uh, it might feel like it's taking too long, but it's going to take as long as it needs to take. Yep. I appreciate you talking to me today, Michael. And Thank you, Peter. Good luck, because another thing I've said to everybody is I wouldn't be in your shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be in the shoes of any decision maker at this point, because as we've already covered, things are changing by the minute. And uh, you, I'm sure you have a stack of potential uh, choices on your desk. And good luck to you. Thanks so much for coming on uh, Off-Road. I'll let you know when this is going to air. And I'll send you a, you know, a link to get it in case you Absolutely. happen to have some spare time. And take care. Thank you, Peter. Take care. Have fun with your family. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye now. No! No, I don't really give a rat about baseball. I, I know a lot of people do, but I guess it's a sign that things are picking up. I, I don't know. And tell me that interview with Michael Murphy wasn't fascinating. I, I never expected it to go in that direction. And when Michael brought up that whole question of diversity in theaters and what they're trying to do about it, I, it was amazing to me. Something like that is it, it makes doing this all worthwhile because it becomes such an eye-opener to me, if no one else. And now I want to thank my friend Marie, who made a suggestion. She said, you know... When you're telling us who the mystery guest is, why don't you play a little more of it so we get another taste of it? And I said, well, that's a great idea, and I feel stupid for not thinking of it. So listen carefully again. My office mates are the best I've ever had. It's my wife and kids, my two kitty cats, and a funny little dog. So I'm glad about that. Did you get it? I'm not playing it for you again. That's one of the most recognizable voices in Buffalo Theater. Brian Miss Livy. 
Love him. Thanks so much, Brian, for going way out of your way to write that rap because it was certainly unexpected and appreciated. Things are good. Not that bad. Yeah, I know, Brian. We heard that already. Hey, listen, that's the end. That's all I have for this time. I know. We're coming in at about an hour and a half. It's a little better. Maybe we'll go down to two interviews next time. Listen, stay safe, everybody. And if you want to be part of the Mystery Guest Alliance, why don't you give me a uh, shout-out? Just record something on your phone. Don't go out of your way like Brian did. Holy cow, that was a lot. Just something simple. Just send me a message and send it to rltpoffroad at gmail.com. Maybe you will be the next mystery guest. So long, folks. We'll see you in a couple of weeks on RLTP's Off-Road with me, Pete Pomisano. Pete Pomisano.